日本に住んでて、この会社で、日本の会社で働きたいんだったら、やっぱ日本人にの文化に合わせなきゃいけないなと。If you live in Japan and work in a Japanese company, you need to follow the Japanese custom.Every episode, we unpack controversial opinions about the Japanese mindset, culture, and custom.Today's controversial statement is about the Japanese office.From Human Burrito Productions, I'm your host, Kaho Koda. And this is Controversial Japan. Misura is a Japanese woman in her late 20s. She currently lives in Tokyo and works for a Japanese media company in the English department. She has Japanese colleagues as well as foreign colleagues. Many Americans, actually. Her male colleague, let's call him Paul because I never asked for his name and it'll just be easier for me to tell the story. So, Paul. He's from the US. The work hours set in their department is 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Around 6 50 p.m., to quote Misura, Paul becomes a little. Restless. He checks the time frequently, then prepares to turn off his computer, packs up his belongings, and by 7 01, he's out the door. Nothing weird going on here, right? You might think, what am I not getting? Here's what happens after he leaves at 7 p.m. sharp. His fellow colleagues and bosses stay and continue working past their contracted hour. Even if there's no immediate deadline they have to meet that day, they continue working as long as their bosses and colleagues are there. Why? So, Misura elaborates. If she's finished all of her work by 7 pm, theoretically she can leave. Stress on theoretically here because She won't. If her colleagues and bosses are still working on something, she'll help out. Even if there's nothing urgent to finish that day, she'll stay because there's always something to do. She says it's better to finish projects earlier than the deadline anyway. She adds, it's also awkward to leave the office when her boss and colleagues are still working. Teamwork and respect towards your boss. That's what's happening here in the Japanese office. I asked Misura if anyone else besides Paul leaves the office at 7 pm. She answered no, at least not in her department. Then I asked her if she's ever worked with a Japanese colleague who leaves at the time set in the contract. And she answered no, never. And that if a Japanese person would do what Paul did, everyone would think less of him or her. She says they shouldn't, but they would. Paul thought of himself as a hardworking employee, but that's not how his colleagues saw him. He was eventually labeled the lazy guy in the office. After all, he leaves the office quote unquote early at 7 pm. Not really a team player from his colleagues' point of view. Once, Paul expressed his frustration towards being known as the lazy guy in the office. He didn't understand why he was given that label since. He works so hard, so hard, till 7 pm. 
Misora realized he didn't understand the fundamentals of the Japanese workplace. So she explained how the Japanese mindset works in the office, how his Japanese colleagues see him when he leaves at 7 p.m., why he was not seen as a team player. He responded, That's not right. And yeah, Misora understood. She sympathized with him. He's doing nothing wrong. 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., that's his contract. He's following what's written in the contract. 7 p.m. onwards, it's his private time. Whether it be with family, friends, or by himself, that shouldn't be the company's concern. And it's not his fault that the rest of the office is willing to work additional hours. Misura's been in a similar position as Paul before, in her case, struggling in the American workplace. A couple of years ago, she was sent to New York to support the opening of Japanese steak restaurants. She worked in a different industry back then, and she had a difficult time working with Americans. From a hard working, your job comes first Japanese point of view, she saw firsthand how people perceive work in the US was very different from Japan. To generalize, and she knows she's generalizing, but She saw Americans as people who prioritized their personal lives, or came second, or even third. That was culture shock for her. The first two months, she was under a lot of stress. One time in winter, for example, one of the restaurant's pipes froze, and as a result, the ceiling fell off into the kitchen. She received the call at around midnight from maintenance. And without hesitation, rushed to the restaurant. Once she saw the damage, she called the restaurant's manager. She explained what had happened at the restaurant and asked for his assistance to sort things out. The manager's response was the following I can't come in. It's my day off. She was so frustrated. He's the manager, he's responsible for this restaurant. But she didn't argue with him, she worked it out on her own. And she reminded herself, this is how it is in the US. There's a clear divide between work and personal life. It's not like Japan, where everyone is expected to drop what they're doing to answer a work emergency. So don't expect that from this manager. So, yeah, she gets Paul's that's not right response, considering he's from the US, where it's accepted, encouraged even, to leave at a set time. Work life balance. Right? However, she also thinks if that's what you insist at this Japanese company, you won't last long. Misura's advice towards anyone who is working overseas, away from your own country, even if it's not Japan, is this. It's a Japanese proverb that's equivalent to when in Rome, do as the Romans do. In this case, if you live in Japan and work in a Japanese company, you need to follow the Japanese custom. Accept it and move on. Just like what she did when she worked in the US. It comes down to this Paul thinks it's not fair to be labeled the lazy guy since he works hard. On the contrary, Misora believes that. If you're working in a Japanese office, 
you gotta understand how being called lazy in this situation is inevitable. We're going to investigate these polar opposites today. First, let's dive into the Japanese workplace and look at Misura's point of view. understand more about Misura's statement, let's take a moment to consider the Japanese work environment. The two key concepts I want to focus on right now are cooperation and respect towards the hierarchy. Japan is a prime example of collectivist culture, which means that we prioritize the needs of the community rather than the individual. We find virtue in being considerate of others and being cooperative, caring for your community, teamwork. The word kyochose, meaning being cooperative and harmonious, is a desirable trait. So when you ask for your own wants and needs, you're seen as a little bit selfish. And in a collectivist culture like Japan, this kyochose, being harmonious, is a big part of decision making. Our minds are shaped into wanting to belong to the community from a young age. And eventually, we are conditioned to make decisions keeping the community in mind. Sometimes, the decision can be based on how the society expects us to choose. I have a distinct memory from when I was seven. My family had just moved back to Tokyo from Seattle. In the US, my teachers praised me for my colorful outfits and how adorable I was. I was taught that my uniqueness was something worth celebrating. And so, I was this proud kid. My bubbly, fun personality was not well received in Japan. I was unapologetically loud, and that was translated to being inconsiderate of others around me. I was a show-off for raising my hand in class when I knew the answer to the teacher's question. And I was a selfish girl for talking too much about myself. There were so many unspoken rules that everyone knew that I was not aware of. Natsumi shared a similar experience. She's a Japanese woman in her 20s, and she moved around Hong Kong, Bahrain, the UK, and eventually moved to Japan for the first time at age 10. I went to like a, what do you call it, like a normal Japanese primary school. That was the first time I'd ever had classes in Japanese. Um, been surrounded by just Japanese people. I think the first time I got told off for drinking water in class. And I was just like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm thirsty. <laughs> um, and they were just like, no, you can't do that. I was like, oh, okay. And they were like, it's a rule. Like, you're not supposed to drink or eat during class. But I'm thirsty. They're like, you have to wait until the hour's over. Kids can be so blunt, innocent, and evil. So yeah, Natsumi and I learned that we're supposed to follow the unspoken rules in society, whatever our peers were following. I mean, school is a mini-society. We quickly learned that standing out in school is not a great thing. As a survival method, which is not how we perceived it back then, but as a survival method, both Natsumi and I started following what others were doing. I stopped raising my hand in class. 
I started to copy what my friends were wearing and avoided colorful dresses. I started to conform to what my friends were doing, what Japanese society asked of me. As a kid, you learn these things. You need to conform to survive. It is what it is. And we'll explore the Japanese kyochose, the state of being harmonious, in a later episode in depth. But for now, let's go back to Misora and her office. If Misora left the office earlier than her boss, what would her colleagues think of her? Generally speaking, as a collectivist culture, teamwork and achieving goals as a team are valued more compared to individual wins in Japan. You have to be a team player to succeed in the Japanese office. Just like how Misura and her colleagues stay late to help each other out. So picture this. This one guy, Paul, leaving the office at 7pm every workday when everyone else stays to work till 8, 9, or even 10pm, working together as a team. Without Paul. Doesn't look amazing, does it? There's a downside to collectivist culture. It takes a long time and countless meetings to make decisions as an entity. I think the problem with the bureaucracy is that it's not productive bureaucracy, I would say. This is Angela. I'll name her Angela just because she wanted to stay anonymous. She's an English teacher from London, working at a Japanese elementary and middle school. She expresses her frustration towards the Japanese not-so-productive bureaucratic ways. It's a meeting to put the idea on the table, to then raise the idea up the line with meeting after meeting after meeting, to then realize, hmm, we're not sure about this, bring it back down after meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. Oh, but, ah, we'll have to ask someone higher so it goes up again to come back down. (laughs) But it doesn't quite get anywhere. And... I have a co-worker who said before she was a teacher, she's like... Angela tells me a story about her co-worker, Lisa. Lisa, before she became an English teacher in Japan, used to work in the energy and trade industry as a liaison for the Japanese branch. One day, Lisa notified the Japanese branch that the operating system was changing across all the offices in the world. The conversation went like this. Lisa said... Here's the new system, here's what's happening, um, here's how it's going to change. Japanese branch said, Well, we'll have to have a meeting about this with, you know, the higher-ups. Lisa said, No, 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 the system is changing. And then the Japanese branch said, We're not sure, what are the details of this change? Like, we have to know all the features. Lisa. It's changing anyway. Japanese branch. We'll have to talk to our boss about this. Oh, we're not very sure about this aspect. Lisa. It's got to happen. This international company is changing its global system. This is coming. Japanese branch. We're not entirely sure about some of these points, though. We're going to have another meeting. Um, we're going to send this up another level. Lisa. How are you slowing this down so much? We are updating the system we're working on. It is going to change. Japanese branch. We need a meeting about this. Talk about those meetings that could have been an email. I guess you could call this next level from the Western perspective. In Japan, eh, not so much. As a collectivist culture, you need to consult with everyone, 
the management, higher-ups, and so on. It takes a long time to come up with a decision. That's what the Japanese branch was doing. And that translated to repetitive, not-so-productive meetings from Lisa's point of view. To put it in harsh terms, you're not expected to be an independent thinker in Japan, especially as someone new or young in the company. And sometimes, even Japanese individuals can't take this kind of environment. Iri is one of them. Iri is a Japanese master's student studying applied cultural analysis in Denmark. Iri isn't her real name, by the way, since she wanted to stay anonymous. Before she pursued her master's degree, she looked for jobs in Japan. Once I went to an interview for like, like a small startup company or something, it was to do with like um, international topics. So that's why I thought, oh, maybe like people like me, like they, they could appreciate. Iri was raised in South Korea, Malaysia, and Japan. So she has an international mindset. She thought her outspoken self would be appreciated in this work environment. But... So I went to an interview and they told me that I asked too many questions and that I am too unique and that I'm too opinionated. What they need is um, someone that can take on the responsibility, what they're asked for, like someone that, that can fill in the role in the company as a plain white, they literally said like white piece of paper, like white plain piece of paper. I was really shocked. <laughs> like they lit and they, they also told me to stop talking or they told me to stop elaborating on certain things because we didn't ask you the questions yet. Like for me, it's important to state why I think about certain things. And they told me that I waste their time because I talk too much and they don't want to know why I did this. With my limited work experience in Japan and from what I hear through these interviews, I get the impression that experience is not a major requirement when you enter a new company as a newly graduate. The metaphor, a white piece of paper, reminds me of new beginnings, a new chapter in life, a blank slate. A fresh young mind that can easily absorb and follow the company culture, and by doing so, someone that'll respect your experienced bosses and tradition of the company. In the beginning, you are asked to, oh, my, my mistake, not even asked since... You know, these are things you should know by the time when you start working. So you are expected to follow orders from your supervisor. Your supervisor is your senpai, an older and experienced person who knows his or her way around the office. Anyone who's been in the company longer than you have automatically becomes your senpai. They've been working here for a long time and therefore are wiser. My guess is that the international startup that Eddie interviewed at was trying to caution Eddie. First, listen to your senpai and learn the ways of this company. Respect your senpai. Respect the hierarchy. Showing respect can be done in many ways, of course. Back to our main story, in Misora's case, she stays late at work because her boss is also working hard and she wants to help out. There's also a formal speech you can use when you talk to someone above you whom you respect. Address the person with the title senpai or san at the end of their name. So, for example, misora-san or misora-senpai. Respecting your senpai or boss is so natural in Japan. 
It's just so instinctual that I didn't know how to formulate my questions to Japanese people in their interviews. Do you respect your boss? How do you show respect towards your boss? Sounds like a stupid question. Ew, nope, so not gonna ask that. I also realize that sometimes when you're so deep into the cultural norm, you become oblivious to the fact that it's always there, and you don't think about it. Perhaps when someone not used to this hierarchy witnesses or experiences it, it becomes more apparent. So instead of asking Japanese people awkwardly phrased questions, I asked expats working in Japan if they experienced or saw the hierarchy in the workplace. And most of them, if not all, said yes. They've seen some form of hierarchy in their respective workplaces. But they also acknowledged that they only saw snippets of it since they don't understand the Japanese language to its full extent. Fair enough. Then I talked to Patrick. Patrick is an English teacher at a Japanese high school. He's been teaching in Japan for over two years now, and he's a first generation Thai American born and raised in LA. When I talked to him about the hierarchy in the workplace, he gave me an interesting answer. Even in the limited like, interactions I might have with some teachers, because you know, only some of them might speak English, and obviously that's the only language I can actually communicate in. And I even noticed like, with new teachers, they definitely do always call me sensei at the end. And... So that would be Patrick sensei. Sensei means teacher. So basically, he's called Patrick teacher from the new teachers. I can tell, I can just basically tell that they will ask me like how things have been done because they're newer than me. So they still treat me with the kind of like junior, senior kind of, like the older teachers will be more likely to just tell me what to do. And the younger teachers will be more likely to ask me like, what should we do? From the older teacher's perspective, Patrick is new. He needs to be taught how it's done at the school. So let's give him instructions. From the new teacher's perspective, Patrick has been teaching at the school before they came into the picture. Then he must know how things are done around here. Let's ask him for his opinion. Respecting someone older who has more life experience than you. That could be your parents, your teacher, your senpai, your boss. Let's go back to our main story, Paul again. By leaving at 7pm, even if that was his contracted time, Paul didn't look good. He turned out to be seen as the lazy colleague who didn't want to help his team or show respect towards his boss. That's how he was seen in his workplace anyway. So Misura's opinion. If you're working in a Japanese office as a foreigner, you need to understand that being called lazy is inevitable. Because of kyochose, meaning being harmonious and cooperative, and because of the respect to your senpai and boss. Paul's response. How unfair that is. Let's look at that next, right after the break. Controversial Japan is made possible by you, the listener. At our Human Burrito web shop, we sell t-shirts, hoodies, tote bags, and many other items. All the proceeds go to the cost of this production and the designers that create this show. They're originally designed by Macy Matthews. She made the cover art for this podcast. And I gotta say, the designs, they are beautiful. Buy and support at shop.humanburrito.com. Okay, 
there's Paul's perspective to consider. In other words, the North American perspective. As opposed to the Japanese collectivist culture, the U.S. puts emphasis on the individual and work-life balance more than Japan. If you have a Western individualistic background, you probably thought one or more of the following. One, his contract is binding and it's wrong to be peer pressured into working late. Two, work-life balance is important. Three, mental health is also important. Four, just honor the contract. Five, who cares if your colleague thinks of you as the lazy one? So, as a foreigner working in Japan, what is the right move? I want to try and answer that in this segment. And I want to introduce Kwau. Kwau is a filmmaker originally from Mexico. He currently lives in Toronto, Canada, but he lived in Japan for five years. Back then, he worked for a Japanese company that made magazines for foreign tourists. All of the managing staff was Japanese. But since it's a magazine for foreign tourists, he had many expat colleagues as well. And his Japanese colleagues had some kind of experience abroad. So they all had a genuine passion to share Japan with the world. Kuao knew about the hierarchy in the workplace before entering into the company. He had already lived in Japan for a few years by then, so he knew what to expect. But that doesn't mean it was not going to be challenging. I, I enjoy more of an independent uh, management style. I prefer an independent management style where I get to make my own decisions and, you know, I do love working in a team. But uh, yeah, sometimes it was just uh, too micromanagement, I feel, or that I would have to report uh, a lot more. And a lot of it was, I, I thought, like taking away from the main thing that I was supposed to be doing. Kwao explained that it was not as strict as a typical Japanese company because the company knew that they could not expect foreigners to be at the same level as a Japanese employee. But he also acknowledged that consideration is not the right word to describe it. He used the word resignation, as in, it can't be helped. The thing is that we were coming from such different places that even even though both of us were sort of like trying to meet halfway where I would be like extra careful to report things more than I thought it was necessary or ask questions, seek guidance more than I thought it was necessary. Neither of us were getting what we wanted in a way. So there was a lot of like getting used to, I think. So I, I think it took a while for me to be recognized, I think, to, to be trusted. I think it, it definitely took a little bit. And part of that was not just my work, but I think also my willingness to play by the rules. Because there were brilliant, brilliant people in the company and everything that were foreigners, but maybe they were less uh, willing to work the Japanese way. And those people usually never had had a smooth co-working smell with them. Like they would usually quit really quickly. And, and in all fairness... That's probably why I also ended up leaving because, like, I, 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 I felt confident. So the foreigners that were not willing to understand and follow the Japanese customs ended up quitting the company. Kwau left the company because he was moving to Canada, but he admitted that a part of it was also due to the fact that he didn't see himself growing like how he wanted to. 
in the long run, the Japanese management style was not really for him. I asked Kwao what we've been discussing in this episode. As a foreigner, do you need to follow the Japanese custom to succeed in the Japanese work environment? You have to be creative. The thing is that, in my opinion, and I will say this, a lot of Westerners, they tend to sort of like egocentric. Uh, you know, Western has this idea of individuality and like freedom, you know, at any cost. And like, I should be able to do what I want, wherever I want. And so that, that clashes a lot with like Japanese work culture and mentality. And being completely honest, there was part of that in me, of course. And that was part of the source of a lot of maybe the the dissatisfaction that I had working in Japan. And I think if I had been more... Kuo told me about his current job in Canada. He works for a personal development school. And over the course of working there, he's learned how the subconscious mind works. And so how he interprets the situation now has changed compared to when he worked in Japan. So knowing what I do know now, I think that there's always ways to grow and expand and be successful in Japan in any industry, I would say. But you have to play by different rules. Like a lot of it is, yes, pandering to these different um, tacit rules, uh, not being so self-centered, like being okay with, you know, somebody sometimes not getting the credit that you wanted. Quite frankly, being more, yeah, being le- less self-centered maybe. Yeah, it just feels like, knowing what I do know now, there's definitely ways to succeed. I, I wouldn't be... If your ego bruises easily, if you're all about yourself, then yes, you're going to have a tough time in Japan for sure. The best is always a balance. And on one hand, working in a team, working as a community, I do think that yields the best results in terms of like going farther. But also, you cannot ignore your own personal needs. And unfortunately, I do think that extreme compliance with the rules and like avoiding conflict tends to disregard your own needs. And that creates a lot of frustration. So I also think that's not good. And I just personally, I think that the best approach is to somewhere in between. The conversation with Kwao made things clearer. Quote, working in a team yields the best results but also you can't ignore your own personal needs, unquote. It's the struggle of community versus individuality. A clash is bound to happen when it's this much of polar opposite. Balancing those two could be the answer. Potentially. Maybe. Misura's advice. If you live in Japan and work in a Japanese company, you need to follow the Japanese custom. Maybe not necessarily follow the custom blindly, Misura backpedals, but understand how your behavior is perceived here. Even just knowing makes your life easier. Less wondering, less stress. 
According to the Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare, there were a total of 1,724,328 foreign workers in Japan in 2020. That means that roughly 2.6% of the labor force in Japan are foreign workers. The number has been on the rise every year, even despite the corona crisis. Japan is no doubt a homogenous society, and in January 2019, it was reported that foreigners living in Japan exceeded 2% of the entire population for the first time. 2%. That became news. So that means 98% of the population is Japanese. 98%. Let that sink in. Controversial Japan is produced by Human Burrito Productions. We interviewed Misora Yamaya, Natsumi Funabiki, Patrick Fang, Kwao Velasquez, and other anonymous individuals for this episode. Our sound designer is Junan, that's spelled J-U-N-A-N, and you can check out more of her tunes on Spotify. Our theme song, Coast to Coast, you're listening to this right now, is by Mikara, and you can also listen to her on Spotify. Artwork by Macy Matthews. You can see more of Macy's design on her website, macymatthews.com. Technical support by Rutger Vink, and special thanks to Sofia Gupta and Ilka Verwom. If you'd like to support the podcast by purchasing our merch, designed by the talented Macy Matthews, who also created our podcast cover, visit our web store, shop.humanburrito.com. We have a lot of cute things like tote bags and t-shirts. Check out our website for more info at humanburrito.com and if you'd like to send us a message, you can email us at humanburritoproductions at gmail.com. We'll be back with more controversial opinions about Japan. Till next time. A dream is not too far. His words, they paint a picture. His words, they show off his smarts. That's my East Coast baby. But it was West Coast from the start Coast to coast